Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 507 on Wednesday, the 4th of January, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. And I'm Alex. And this week, we'll be discovering how the Geospatial Commission is finding more uses for geospatial data, funnily enough. Uh, about how land, restoring Land Rovers is good for your mental health, and all about a very diverse Volkswagen reshuffle. Yeah, there's some fo- there is some follow up. Uh, so, do you want to head into there's just a couple of things to, to to talk about very very quickly before we get into the new news? Yeah, sure. And first uh, is uh, news that the Department for Transport is appealing a freedom of information request from Professor Greg Marsden at the University of Leeds Institute for Transport Studies. This was uh, aimed at kind of getting hold of the traffic assumptions behind the UK's transport decarbonisation plan. So how vehicles are used and the impact of COVID-19 on travel. Um Essentially, the idea is that he's looking to to scrutinise the data behind it and find out how these decisions are being made and prevent future uh, future policies being made without access to the underpinning evidence. So, yeah. it's uh, it's an, an ongoing an ongoing challenge to try and get hold of that data. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, the key assumption out of this is this was the this was uh, the information on which the the twenty thirty plan was based, wasn't it? Yes, um, yeah. and uh, and so so EVs only after twenty thirty, and, and even then that that was brought forward again, based on this data, uh, and so uh, and so we thought it was quite in- interesting, good. We obviously Andrew and I discussed it before uh, about being able to actually see and understand what that data was. Uh, Department of Transport really not that keen on sharing, it seems. Yes, it sets a, dis- a slightly worrying precedent for future future policy making. Uh, if uh, you can push decisions like this through without being able to get hold of uh, you know mm-hmm. foundations on which it's based. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, it is only an appeal. The, the appeal hasn't been denied yet, um, but it'll be be interesting to see to see what what the thoughts are. Mm, absolutely. Comes out of that. Um, one other piece of follow up. Uh, was about the uh, continental cyber attack. Um, they seem to previously have been very, very quiet about it. Um, they hadn't really said anything. Um, they have released it. We linked in the show notes uh, some Q Q and A on on that. What people got hold of. Uh, what. Uh, uh, why it happened the way it did, why Continental didn't detect it, all these kind of things. If you want more information on that, if that's something which uh, which you're interested in, uh, either either personally or, or professionally, then uh, there'll be a link in the show notes to the the webpage that Continental have put together. They weren't great at being being very clear that this had happened in the first place. Uh, there does seem to have been a change of tack now uh, to share as as much as they can realistically share. Um, about that so um so yes uh if you want to, to find out more there'll be a link in the show notes to that continental webpage which brings us to some new news yes and this is a story that began breaking before christmas and everything shutting down over christmas uh this is a follow-up piece uh in that uh car dealer magazine had reported that dealers were uh, stellantis dealers were uh, claiming that they'd been forced to ask customers to register and pay for cars they hadn't actually received, uh, and that a lot of this stock was actually sort of sitting around, uh, you know, in in docks and so on. Um, 
managing director uh, Paul Wilcox um, is the senior vice president and group managing director at Stellantis has said it's it's his number one priority to fix these problems uh, and actually it's, it has, hasn't denied the accusations he said that they were needed to improve its stock turn velocity so in other words that to have the cars there, uh, it, you know, having the cars in the UK was was required to kind of secure future capacity from factories, which, as you know, at the moment is is not a very easy thing to do, given the mm-hmm. kind of short global shortages of components and you know, particularly semiconductor chips and so on. So not denying it, but kind of saying it's a priority to get on and, and, and fix that and kind of move on from that from that in, crisis. But in, uh, all- in some cases, people, you know, um, the it was saying that, that dealers were saying that that basically Stellantis wanted them to to register vehicles that were in some cases still on boats, yes, um, or yeah. were still a few months out, meaning that people would have to start paying lease payments uh, and deposits and everything on vehicles that they weren't going to get for months in 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 in, in some cases. Which I don't know. We're all kind of familiar with pre registration, but this seems a little bit. Yeah, this is bringing the customers in as well, which is, yeah. is a very different so, situation. I mean, I, I understand, I absolutely understand, you know, the logistical issues, as you say, you know, chips and, uh, and and supply chain and all these kind of things. But this is, this seems bad to me, um, not to mince my words too much. Uh, this seems bad to me because, as you say, it's, it's bringing the customer into it and it's the customer who's having to, um, you know, who's who's having to basically pay up for not getting anything um, at, at that point? A, a vehicle they've not even they've not even seen. Um, that's that's really where it's bad on 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 this. Um, I'm not. Sub- I mean, it would be unfortunate and annoying, and if it was just all within the dealer network um, and within Stellantis's supplying network, but. But I think bringing the customer in and 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 knocking it that far up is is not a good look. No, it's, I mean it's a tricky time to be buying a new car at the moment. Anyway, I mean the lead times are one are only one part of it. There's um, I've seen reports of you know prices changing between ordering and delivery, which in some cases people are being protected from. But mm-hmm. also we've we've had massive increases in. Uh, uh, interest rates in the UK over the last twelve months, yep. which have you know in in a lot of cases have to be passed on to the consumer. So you know, you find that people will order cars, and by the time they come to have them delivered, are uh, uh, dealing with with quite a different situation. And also on top of that, there's of course there's been uh, from a yeah, from a, this is obviously separate to Stellantis, but um, kind of connected into the same world of pain that that mm-hmm. everyone's going through at the moment is you know we, we've had delays in terms of taxation announcements and so on as well so people are ordering cars maybe waiting a year 18 months for them to be delivered and in some cases if they're keeping those cars for three or four years in their company cars they could end up paying completely un- you know they were doing so you know until fairly recently mm-hmm. assuming that there'd be kind of gradual increases in tax and so on which is is not the case so um yeah it's 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 a it's it's a tough time to be buying at the moment yeah, no, and this tough is time to be smelling as well. Yeah, this, mm, this, yeah. yeah, yeah, hard one. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on, shall we, to something a little bit better news, perhaps, um, and that's that it's been it's been announced that uh, Toyota's D side plant in North Wales uh, is going to get uh, investment to support the new 
fifth generation hybrid uh, engine platform uh, from which is going out. So that obviously the fifth generation replaces, replaces the fourth generation. You'd think that would be obvious, but not always. Uh, that, which they've been making since 2016. Uh, so so that's pretty good. I mean that that's a good sign generally. Although four hundred and sixty five thousand pounds is is peanuts to Toyota, I guess. Um, that's a good sign generally that that people are are, are um, investing in in building in in the UK, and it makes sense for Toyota because of course they've got the the, the D side plant supplies the Burnison the the Burnison factory and Corolla manufacture and stuff in in the UK. And also good news in Wales, where uh, mm. we've you know, we've lost Ford eighteen months mm-hmm. ago, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we've got uh, some question marks over what's going to happen with TVR going forward, and whether that's going to stay in Abbey Vale now, now that they've paid off the Welsh government debt and so on. Um, I think that, as far as I know, that's not been confirmed where they're going to end up. But uh, it's nice to know that there's some kind of investment being grounded in in, in Wales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. T- TVR does seem does seem analogous to the Tesla Cybertruck in in my mind these <laughs> days. So there is a vehicle. There's a vehicle. Yeah. Um, yes. We'll see what see what happens if it. Obviously, you know, it would be good if it stayed there and if it existed. But we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, the exciting thing with that, of course, is that with last there was the uh, announcement last year about uh, you know it going electric and so on. So it's not. Mm. I had my concerns about Wales getting kind of technology with a shelf life in the, mm-hmm. if the Griffith was going to be a V8, it was going to have uh, a limited amount of time that it could be produced before things would need to be kind of restarted from the ground up. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It feels a bit more. So we'll see, but yes, it's nice to see Toyota investing in, because obviously D side as well as any, the only factory making hybrid engines outside Japan as well. So it's. Uh, Is it? Uh, I didn't, I didn't actually know that. I believe so. <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's nice to have that. On, nice to have that in Wales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of speaking of British sports car companies, there's some news at Morgan as well, isn't there? Yes, Morgan, which is very definitely building cars, has appointed a new uh, non-executive chairman, uh, Lawrence Price, who, despite his surname, is the great grandson of the company's founder, HFS Morgan. He was appointed as non-executive director in 2012, and uh, he's going to work in uh, alongside CEO Massimo Fumarola um, to kind of continue developing the brand going forward. So uh, it's not it's it's obviously not a huge volume manufacturer, but uh, again, a nice, yeah, a very interesting, innovative company uh, based within the UK. So uh, can you remember, there's not that not many. Okay, maybe a couple of decades ago, that you wouldn't really have described Morgan as being innovative, would you? Mm, and yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny how that's 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 changed. Mm, yeah, kind of steady, steady, uh, steady performance and kind of. Yeah, you know, just yeah, it's it's they've kind of carried on and and they they seem to be moving with the times. It's it's nice to see. It's it's kind of funny. They're quite good at just getting on with it. I know that sounds a bit dumb and a bit of a put down. And it's really not meant that way, but but yes, that actually kind are. of puts it better than how I meant. I don't mean I, they're not just carrying on with what they're doing, but they're kind of they're not kind of going. We're going to you know quadruple our volume within a year and do something really ridiculous. They're just kind yeah. of quietly responding to what people want and, and moving forward with uh you know evolving the brand as they go so. yes they've, they've had no um oh i've forgotten his name now that was going to be really witty 
What was a Lotus guy? Oh God, yes, I can't remember either. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, they, I know they sure got everyone, you mean, and I can't you're think. All, they're you're all, all screaming. Everyone's going to be screaming at. Yeah, exactly. Yes, but they've not had that. That they've not had to put up with any of those moments, and long may that continue. I think. Hmm. They're not a company that permanently seems to be on the brink of bankruptcy and uh, been changing hands the whole time. No, no. Although did Lotus doesn't seem to be doing that right at the minute, which is un- it's almost unnerving, really, isn't it? But yeah, no, it's, it's Geely, steering hand of Geely. Yes, yes. Here's some money. Get on with it, please. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, companies that are shuffling and changing around quite a lot. Uh, Volkswagen Group. Uh, Volkswagen Group has announced a major strategic reshuffle, uh, as is its way, uh, and of course this happened uh, just before, uh, just before Christmas. Um, but yes, they have they they have moved moved the world around uh, once again. So yes, as part of that change, as well as the the new CEO uh, Oliver Bloom, uh, then um, Michael Maurer is going to become head of group design with Klaus Zisiora to leave the company. Uh, Maurer is also going to remain in position at Porsche. Michael Neumeyer uh, will replace uh, Frank Welsh as head of group quality. Neumeyer retains his position as head of quality at Audi, etc., etc. You can tell this is, this is the usual old, it's the usual old Volkswagen reshuffle, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's mostly the same people um, being shuffled around a, a little bit and sort of changing their seats at the table, possibly to get a better view of the coffee machine. <laughs> um, yeah, I just yeah, it's a Volkswagen reshuffle. There we go. That's really all we needed to say. You probably all guessed that it was the same middle-aged men moving from seat to seat. So, returning to Britain and uh, British sports car manufacturers. Um... Autocar is reporting that uh, Lawrence Stroll and uh, the Utri Investment Group have increased their shareholding in Aston Martin, up from 19% to uh, 28.29%, uh, which is a uh, investment of around uh, 50 million, uh, 50 million pounds. Apparently, uh, this is to block Geely, who we were talking up just a few minutes ago, yes. from uh, taking taking over the company. So. Uh, I, I- I'd forgotten this story was coming up when we were talking about British sports cars. Always sports car manufacturers <laughs> always on the brink, brink of bankruptcy and new ownership. Um, but yes, Aston Martin is the absolute epitome of that, uh, even more so than TVR, I suppose. Um, yeah, there's uh, again, what more can we say on this one? Really, um, Geely was upping its was quietly upping its percentage of of Aston Martin. Um, but yeah, um, Lawrence Stroll seems to be, seems to be deepening his, his investment. I, I can't work out. I, I don't understand why you would, you would have thought he would have been quite pleased that there was another company keen to maybe pay a bit more. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, especially considering the, the business as usual, unfortunately, it seems to be this kind of, uh, yeah, stepping stone, stepping stone, kind of. You know, you see, that's more su- polite survival. than me. I, that's more polite than me. I was going to say roller coaster. It, yeah, roller coaster is another way, I guess, of putting it. But uh, yeah, the, the, I, I, yeah, I, I can. Uh, it, it it would seem like it would be uh, 
quite as I say we're saying a steadying pair of hands with Lotus earlier. Who knows? Mm. It might might actually be quite a a welcome investment in uh, in terms of kind of you know, steadying the boat a bit, but uh, not to be at the moment mm. apparently. No, no, no. Well, they've been. They, he has made a lot of changes at us. He made well changes were made at Aston Martin, and then changes have been unmade at Aston Martin. Uh, to to steady it, so maybe he feels that that he's already steadied it, and it doesn't need uh, it doesn't need any more right at the moment. Oh, we shall see. Possibly. Anyway, should we move from moving from uh, sports cars to to personal mobility mm. um, and rental e scooters? Uh, there's been a report out by uh, um, well, actually has the, by the Department of Transport, an independent report. Uh, and it's been evaluating how the national e-scooter trials have been going. Uh, you, if you're a regular listener, you know all the background to e-scooter trials. Uh, and you know that they've been, um, whilst, the to- whilst the government and the Department of Transport are still trying to work out uh, just what might constitute a legal e-scooter for people to own and use, uh, then the only way to legally use uh, electric scooter personal mobility device thingies uh, in the UK is, or, or on the road and outside of private land in the UK, uh, is to use one of the e-scooter rental services that are around the country. Um, so they've published this. There are five key Followings. I mean, Alex, have you experienced, tried, played with uh, any of these e-scooter trials? Is there one around you? No, we've got um, we've got bikes uh, around here, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of seem to end up. Sorry, I should say that I, I live in Cardiff. Uh, there are kind of racks of uh, you know shared bikes around the place near train stations and uh, and and such like. But um, I've seen quite a few of them dumped and abandoned and. Quite a few times, the one up near us is 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 empty. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't haven't yet tried any of the scooters. I have fallen off every single scooter that I've I've ever tried, so I'd probably end up injuring myself if I uh, if I were to try one. Uh, I just uh, even I can ride an e scooter without it without being too too wobbly and folly offy, um, <laughs> and I have no background in you know motorcycles or anything like that at all, uh, and and not great at. I'm all right at the whole balance thing, I suppose, but but I'm not not great that shakes at it. it. It wasn't the balance in the last one that I fell off. Somebody had fitted a, a chainsaw motor to or something, and it was it wasn't particularly quick, um, but it was quick enough that I slightly steered, I steered ever so slightly too much and just flipped straight over the handlebars. Oh wow! Yeah, that uh, sounds like a skill. Yes, it wasn't. It it, it must have looked more. Uh, yeah. I, it was in front of quite a lot of people at uh, in the pit lane of a track day, so uh, yeah, it, not not something I'm looking to repeat. No, well, the e-scooters, that kind of thing, is less likely to happen. I promise you, um, <laughs> partly because they probably won't work uh, in the pit lane at track day. Um, but there were five sort of key takeaways uh, from this. Uh, the first one, and I'll let you, I'll let obviously link in the show notes. Blah blah blah, as usual. Um, but yeah, so the five takeaways. Uh, first one was that e-scooters were popular, but and their usage has changed over time. So uh, the average trip now covers one point four miles, lasts about fourteen minutes, and the far more point-to-point use uh, as as well. Um, the only other thing is that uh, most people said they would have walked instead of using an e-scooter. Something that Andrew and I 
uh, well, something that I confessed to, uh, and Andrew and I discussed uh, a few weeks ago, was actually saying that you know it's you know if you're saying this is a more ecological way of, of getting around then then in actual fact 42 percent of users uh, said that they would have walked instead and surely that's more ecological than ever having to sort of charge a battery and then uh, uh, uh and uh, particulates from the tires and all these other fun things and um, also getting some exercise i suppose and also getting some exercise yes and i was being a lazy trog uh, and not falling off them and not falling off them but <laughs> i haven't done that yet um people who've rented an e-scooter are interested in buying one which i think makes sense mm. um e-scooter inexperience is a key factor in collisions that also makes sense given discussion we've just had uh, riders do feel safe but they also have some concerns. Uh, often the concerns are around the lights and the lighting. Is it bright enough? Is it obvious enough? Which is curious because that's a kind of key part of the construction and use type regulation stuff uh, that will be needed if these are to become road legal. So that one's particularly interesting. Um, uh, yeah, people worried about whether they're bright enough at night. Um Curious one, users also felt that the infrastructure and quality of roads needed to be improved to aid safety, particularly citing a lack of segregated lanes away from other vehicles. Yeah, I can agree with that. Mm. Um, but while most riders did feel safe did feel safe in cycle lanes, some did cite concerns of cyclists riding aggressively. Yeah, I can believe that too. Um, also, the majority of e-scooter riders consider the machines less safe than other forms of transport, with the examples of mopeds and motorbikes. Okay. Um, pedestrians remain concerned about e-scooters. I think we discussed uh, is the last one. I think we discussed, Andrew and I discussed that quite a lot, particularly in um, uh, in conjunction with Canterbury uh, and, and closing and, and finishing off their e-scooter trial early um, because of, of, of pedestrian concerns one place that isn't closing off its e-scooter trial early is northamptonshire um, i'm sure andrew slipped this one in just for my benefit uh, so yes the northampton corby wellingborough kettering um, trial run by voy um, is going to continue into may 2024 as well so i might almost be back by then <laughs> uh, so so yes, it's which is I, I think I mean I, I, I don't know how much you've been you've been following it, Alex, but but we've been sort of looking at the the different ways, different uh, different councils and areas of the country seem to have seem to be viewing these e-scooter trials. In some cases, as an inconvenience; in other cases, they do seem to be working quite well and communicating together with the with the the, the, the scooter people and local police forces and stuff. And it's it's quite an interesting differences across the country and Northamptonshire is one of those ones where everybody does seem to be working together and, and and being friends and making suggestions to each other and and um and yeah carrying them out so it was nice to see that that one seems to be a success and is is continuing I guess if it's if it's had that kind of uh yeah if it has been shown to work in that way there's no reason to no reason to pull the plug on it mm, exactly exactly also it's better than walking sometimes mm. Unless you fall off. Unless you fall off. In the rain, when you've walked <laughs> out the way to the centre of town, it can be nice to get home more quickly. We, That's my we are, justification. I'm repeating it. 
We are getting we are we don't have scooters here, but we we are getting segregated uh, cycle lanes, like properly properly segregated cycle lanes mm-hmm. with plants and pavements between them um, throughout kind of the centre of Cardiff, and the the works have been quite disruptive, um, but uh, the end result is going to make it a lot easier to get around um, by you know, vehicles other than cars, although a lot harder to get around in a car um yeah. which is presumably the intent mm-hmm. uh here here well i'm i'm i think i still count as greater boston so i'm just outside what's boston proper by about 200 meters or so and uh thanks to a river uh and here in boston they're not so bad but there's actually quite a few bits where there are segregated cycle lanes and cycle paths and cycle routes uh, the rest of Massachusetts, they have this thing which appears in the Massachusetts Driver's Manual, um, which is like the highway code, but not as good. Uh, and uh, it's this symbol, which is a bicycle and two little arrows, and that's called a sharrow. I swear, I'm not making that up. That's what it says in the driver's manual. It's called a sharrow. And that indicates to drivers that this is a shared space and bicycles are welcome to use as much of the lane as they wish. Uh, The trouble is I'm I'm sure that 90 plus percent of people on the road uh, in Massachusetts at the minute probably haven't read the driver's manual since that Mm. came, was introduced and probably have no idea whatsoever what they were, what that actually is. And what it means, um, but then people tend to be quite polite, depressingly polite drivers here, anyway. Mm. Um, in the main, but, yeah. but yeah, here we've here we've got the Sharrow, and, and I did see another an, another article somewhere, another motoring uh, website, um, commenting that really that wasn't that didn't count as infrastructure. That, that wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, it'd be nice to see a few more bike, bike lanes around here anyway. We used to have a lot of them here where they were they would appear and then disappear. So you'd kind of mm. be, be going along in your bike lane and then all of a sudden it would just vanish. Speaking of uh, evolving transport, um, the Geospatial Commission, which is a government department looking at how you can use um, geospatial data for um, better kind of planning of uh spaces and, and road infrastructure is uh, has published a report looking at how this this data can support the rollout of electric vehicle charge points which is actually something that uh, i know commercial fleets have been doing for a mm-hmm. while in terms of looking you know using that you know using telematics data to see where people stop for how long they stop and and then kind of where you can incorporate you know uh uh, charging stops within that within it within a GT cycle, um, and they're basically the idea is that you'll use this data then to um, deploy charge points where they're actually required, um, and and kind of develop a network then that works for everybody. Um, so it's looking at future demand, uh, where the right sites are, and uh, how to then create a sort of a seamless consumer experience and and, and roll all of that out. So they're doing. They will be doing a feasibility study um, to look at uh, how to yeah, uh, model that demand and provide uh, to provide planners with the right data they need to to identify sites and work out how many charge points they need and when they'll need it. Uh, create uh, a data set for off street parking so that um, planners can identify sites where charge points are needed and and avoid wasting effort and um, make that data more available. Um, 
more findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable um, so that uh, innovators can use that um, to create new services which enhance consumer experience. Essentially, I mean, they're looking here to sort of streamline, you know, streamline the rollout of the charging network across the UK, mm. which, is a, which is a very sensible approach, I think. It, it, seems, it seems a bit bleeding obvious to me, doesn't it? Mm, yeah you uh, it sounds like the kind of thing i guess i, I guess really there's, there's a couple of phases whenever you're rolling out something you know like a charging infrastructure then first of all you go well here's the guesswork of where we think it is mm. here's where we kind of think we want it here's where it's practical to put it at this stage which may or may not match that first guesswork that's, that's the issue yeah and and then the third point is okay now we've got some people moving around and able to go to places. We've got an idea of roughly where they are. Now we can use the information of which of those scattergun places they use to then work out and be more targeted in the future about what we put and where we put it uh, and things. So I, I guess whilst it sounds like, oh, you should have been doing this right from the start, um, then in reality... You can't just go straight in with that because you'd need the people with the you need some baseline of data to start from and to do that you've got to use the scattergun and the the can the, the guesswork and the you've got to use the guesswork and the where's practical approach to actually get that baseline before you can you can you know analyze it in more detail did that make sense or was that just a lot of consultant waffle because it's quite possible no, it's consultant that waffle. makes sense i mean i would say that on top of that part of the problem is that it's been a very kind of a market-led approach to rolling infrastructure out so far mm. in that the demands the, the big demand sites uh are the areas where you'll get a lot of footfall from ev drivers and where you can make you know you can kind of claw back the investment in putting things in in place there I mean, it's it's not cheap cheap to put this infrastructure in place especially in no. rural areas and actually in some cases i mean wales is still uh a, you know pretty dreadful for charging infrastructure um yeah. and actually a lot of the areas that probably just need a few not loads and loads and loads because obviously the traffic is the traffic is not necessarily huge it's not like say south mims or you know hopwood park or places like mm. that where you where you've got lots of people passing through it's it's finding those sites where they are critical as part of just giving people the confidence to go electric but yeah. where there might not be much money in it at the start um mm. you know just kind of identifying the, where those bottlenecks are in the system I, I don't know if you've been watching if you've had a chance to watch many of of, of ian seabrook's videos recently um, but he did the series with the um, uh, where they had that 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 loan stroke lease uh, Fiat five hundred e, and uh, and he he was quite you know he has no at home charging availability mm. uh, and he can't charge the unit either so so he'd been he'd been discovering some of the local charging points that were within the sort of included in the rental of the, the, the 500 E. Um, but he's obviously it's kind of got into his head because, because he was, uh, he's a video from Aberystwyth uh, just on uh, at the weekend there. And he pointed out that the, the hotel where the classic car meet was being held in, in, in the car park. He said, now, of course they've got a Tesla supercharger here, Aberystwyth, which is a good one to know about because it's open to, it's one of the ones that's open to all brands. So it's kind of funny and people have, 
had an EV for a little while and stuff, just making a point of saying, there's a really good charger here, particularly in Wales, where there's very little charging infrastructure, as you say. Then it just kind of, it made me laugh that it was the the even Ian was pointing pointing stuff like that out. I, I shouldn't really say even Ian; that sounds really bad. But but it's encouraging that second hand market on top of the new market. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of you know, the, as as much as the latest EVs can do sort of two hundred plus miles to to a single charge. There's 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 a solid market out there, you know, for 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 older vehicles where they can do eighty to a hundred miles, of, you know, between charges, for, for and where people may not have off street parking. Um, or, or, or the ability to have even on you know on the street kind of public charging where they just need a few local rapid chargers that you can go and top up and do your weekly kind of pootling in. A, f- a friend of mine who who does have off street parking his own charge point has run a, an early Nissan Leaf for the last few years, as well as his his Discovery, mm. um, his his, dis, his Disco Four, um, and said you know it's it's great. We use the Discovery for long journeys or whenever we have to carry loads of stuff and all the family. But for everything else, dodging back and forth to school, to the shops, to whatever else, the, it doesn't matter that the Leaf's only got 60, 70 miles of range. It never does more than 25, 30 at once. Mm. And it's that confidence thing as well, isn't it, of knowing that if you yeah. of, of having alternatives, if you turn up somewhere and it's busy or it's out of action mm-hmm. or, or something's not working, it's knowing then that you've got something fairly nearby. And Wales is terrible, still terrible for that, in terms, certainly in terms of rapid chargers. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, if you look at ZapMap, you, there's masses of charging points, but they're mostly kind of three and seven kilowatt units, which... Yeah, which is if you're doing more than, you know, if you're, if you're there for less than a day, is is, is not always great. It can be just enough. But, uh, I mean, I, I know, remember, um, I think the closest we went to Wales whenever we were doing Charge Around Britain, admittedly, which is quite a few years ago, and the charging infrastructure generally is, has, has increased massively since then. Um, but I think the closest we got to Wales was Hereford. It was, it was we, we just avoided it because there was nothing. There was one charger, I think, in uh, the somewhere at the top and so one charger somewhere at the bottom and we just weren't prepared to take the risk at the time it's it's better than that now but only just but but yeah not a lot yeah we are I, I, embarrassing i did some uh, some filming with the bbc but i think it would have been 2014 um and at the time i had a, a renault zoe mm-hmm. and they were doing the filming actually up in aberystwyth this is pre pre-tesla supercharger appearing there um and uh it was a, a piece about electric vehicles and um dispelling some myths and so on and so forth so they wanted wanted me to come up and do that they wanted me to bring the zoe but getting from cardiff to Aberystwyth with his in the renault zoe which would do about 80 miles on the motorway was easy cardiff to pont abram which is on the end of the m4 rapid charge there straight up to Aberystwyth, easy get to Aberystwyth. i've then got kind of i think it was like a seven or eight hour wait on the fastest charge point that was there at the time. I was like, well, I'd, I've only got like a, you know, a couple of hours of filming. I'm not planning on staying in Aberystwyth for a mm-hmm. whole day just to wait for the thing to charge so I can get back via Pont Abram and trying yeah. to explain this in a way where, the, you know, it's kind of going, look, you can get here. And if you were visiting somebody overnight, you'd, you'd have no problem. But for a meeting like this, there are still gaps and that's, mm-hmm. that's where there's, yeah. So, so I think it's, it's, it's a good move on the government's part to kind of really highlight those areas where you need that, yeah, you know, where you need those 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 uh, those charge points and and really tend to those bottlenecks in the network because they are still there. 
Yeah, sorry, I took that off on a one heck of a tangent just there. Sorry about that. But yes, nicely brought back. You can come back again. <laughs> Despite the fumbling of words. and uh, oh, uh, Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. <laughs> anyway, we fumbled our words uh, right the way through until guilt minute. Yes, it's the first one of the year. Uh, and so I'm just going to take a quick moment to say thank you. Uh, up at the start of this uh, to everyone who supported us over the last year, uh, whether financially uh, or just with help or just opinion and feedback and all that stuff. It it matters. So uh, it it makes such a difference. It really does. So thank you so much. However, this is Guilt Minute and I have a script to read, so I'm going to do it now. Um, It's that quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on the hosting running. If you feel the motoring podcast worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store from stickers to mugs and t-shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all that, and some of you do, so thank you very much once again, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, a couple of other bits of news. Um, I'm loath to start it as an obituary section. Uh, but a couple of uh, a couple of people we we should really sort of mention um, passed away uh, since the last time we recorded one of these, uh, and the first uh, is um, the designer Tom Caron, uh, OBE. So he headed Ogle Des- Ogle Design uh, for a long, long time, responsible for quite a lot of well, uh, quite a few vehicles. Um, I think. So I think Reliance in particular is most um, most uh, linked with. So things like the Scimitar GTE, the Bond Bug, the Reliant Robin. Um, also, there was uh, the ogle-bodied um, Aston Martin uh, Vantage as well around. Um, but it wasn't just all about cars. He designed lots of other stuff, which I think if you're my kind of age, uh, are quite... Uh, quite seminal you'll have if you didn't have them as a toy you're definitely aware of them so things like even like the the marble run um where you get the the sort of plastic parts and you can build a, a sort of whole path for a marble if you drop it in at the top it'll run down towers and round loops and stuff uh, that was him uh, and the rally chopper as well uh, of course it's another particularly famous uh, piece of piece of toy stroke transport design uh there as well so those and many many more items um i mean uh, luke skywalker's uh land speeder uh was was tom karen and ogle design uh the uh oh gee was there was something else that was in my head there oh yeah sinclair c5 as well uh from from ogle design as well so really, really instrumental in in lots and lots of of bits of of transport design and product design and toy design um, over the last forty fifty years. So um, yes, he's passed away peacefully at the the age of ninety six. There'll be loads of big, long, proper, grown up obituaries. Uh, I'm sure appearing in all the various uh, classic car magazines and sites over the next little while if they're not there already. Ageless toy, the Marble Run. Of all the toys that the yeah. kids have got here, I've never seen one that the adults 
visiting adults have been drawn to more than my kids' <laughs> marble run. Build stuff for hours with it. It's one of those yeah. things that just doesn't, you know, doesn't go out of fashion at all. Yeah, I never actually had one. Curiously, now that I think about it, but I, I actually almost bought one for my my nephew for Christmas, uh, and then I got distracted and brought him uh, and bought him um, <clears throat> and bought him uh, electric diggers instead. Ah, yes. Well, also, also ageless in its own way. Yes. Well, they are to me anyway. <laughs> Yes, of course. the 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 year was also uh, darkened by the uh, the loss of uh, Ken Block on uh, just after the new year. Um, Ken Block, of course, uh, founder of uh, DC Shoes, uh, although sold that off quite a while ago. But more more well known recently for um, really growing the popularity of the World Rally Championship in and and rallying in the US and also his mm-hmm. uh, Jim Carner videos which have gone viral since I think the first one came out in 2009 initially with Something Subaru like then with Ford and then most recently with Audi um only a few weeks ago actually the the Audi one with him kind of burning around Las Vegas shredding tires uh co-founder of the Hoonigan brand which um I mean if you've been to any any car shows after the last over the last decade you you we would probably have come across the old Hoonigan sticker or graphic it's, it's it, just any supermarket those, car park I think yeah it's just one of those kind of really yeah just just a really all-round influential character and 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 a really lovely guy as well just a genuine car enthusiast seemingly just doing what he loved so, so very sad to see to hear that he passed uh, passed away in a in a just an unfortunate accident in the uh, the dreadful weather that they've been having over in the United States at the moment on his ranch in Utah. Utah flipped a, a snowmobile over and uh, and, and was, was killed instantly, as, as I understand it. So um, leaves behind a wife and uh, a wife and kids and uh, a lot of a lot of grieving car enthusiasts and colleagues. I think it's just um, just an all round good egg, real a real loss to the car scene. Yeah, and there've been a, a lot of very, very nice words said about him as well, and written about him. I mean, I'll, I'll link to the link from the show notes to the Dirtfish, uh, the Dirtfish uh, Remembering Ken Block article, which is which is written by by one of his by a writer who knew him quite well. Um, so I'll, I'll link to that. But so many, so many nice obituaries been written, and almost all positive. Just a man yes. without 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 any shred of the ego that he could very easily have uh, have amassed with that sort of a portfolio. That that is basically the theme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, just about being accessible and nice and human, really. Mm. Uh, moving on from that, because there's no. I mean, sadly, that is the motorsport news um, this th- this week. Uh, but moving on from that, then. Um, just as a quick announcement at revs restore so some of you may be familiar with the the sort of whole the the, the revs project um which is is one of the sort of automotive based uh, i was gonna say mental health yeah mental health and just just generally happiness ability to speak to people uh, type projects it's run by reverend adam gompert um, whom we've, we've spoken to and about uh, plenty of time before uh, but they've got a um They've got a number of weekends set aside uh, this year, one one a month actually, um, to where people can can help get involved in restoring a Series Three Land Rover. I think it is, yeah, Series Three Land Rover. Um, 
at the Heritage Skills Academy at Bista. Um, if you'd like more information on that, then I'm sure if you're on the Rev's Facebook page, you'll be able to find it there. If not, I'll link to the uh, I'll link to the news press uh, release on it, which has all of the dates and all of the various contact details. If you want to find out more about that. New new car news, somewhat lacking, as you might expect, over Christmas and the New Year, but there have been some moves at Kia. Um, Looking at the uh, designer's mood board, um, Kareem Habib, the uh, ex-BMW and Infiniti uh, designer, has been promoted within uh, within Hyundai Motor Group from um, uh, head of Kia Global Design to executive president. He's uh, the man behind the the EV6. Uh, we've got the, the the link to the full story um, is will be included in the show notes on that one. Uh, it's uh, on the Car Design News website. So, yes, yes, a well deserved promotion. I think the the just the 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 yes, Kia and and Hyundai both are getting such great reviews on on their their design and styling work. Um, I think it's it's impressive right. stuff he's been doing. Smashing it out of the park at the moment. Mm, they are a bit, just a bit. Um, speaking of design and styling, though, lunchtime read uh, falls to me this week. Uh, and uh, funnily enough, it is all about small SUVs as well. Uh, so, bit of a complex one, this one, folks. It's all about that awful image, which I can't stand where uh, all the context has been removed from a set of many, uh, was that six by six, six, nine, 72 different uh, SUVs. Uh, And people going, oh, well, everything looks the same. and Design is dead and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's an article on LinkedIn by the person who collated and put that image together, um, pointing out that in actual fact, that image is being used with the whole, with the whole whole design is dead phrase, um, completely wrongly, uh, and actually it was he put it together himself um, to to actually illustrate the opposite. So, link in the show notes to the uh, to to as I say that that article by Adi Hanft. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm so sorry. Uh, they're talking about that. Um, and how annoyed he is that, you know, however many millions of people who agree, trying, agreeing that design is dead as a result. Um, uh, and there's also a link to the chapter of his book from within that LinkedIn article, um, or the chapter in his book, uh, where that he created that image for. So the image has been taken from his, from his book, basically, and with no credit to him. Yay for social media mm. sharing. Yes. Um, and it's a title, it's a chapter called uh, Driving Conformity. The link to that is at the bottom of the LinkedIn page. But I'd like, I would like traffic to flow via his LinkedIn page. I know that sounds dumb. I can't stand LinkedIn either. Mm. But I think that reading his, uh, I think that reading his kind of response to that social media is 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 an important sort of step uh, on, on the way through. There you go. I'm, I am... Of course, you can completely ignore me. Just scroll to the bottom and click on the link anyway. But I'm going to try and try and try and help you, help you consume the information, consume the content uh, in 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 the logical way. So, so yes, I, I think that that's yeah. Because I just hate that image because there's so much context 
I hate that image in the way that it was being used on social media because it, it to the for a point where you know it, it showed things like there's a Mitsubishi ESX somewhere in there I think and it shows it as exactly the same scale as a Lamborghini Urus a Bentley Bentayga um um or a Mercedes what's it called this week it used to be the GL class GL GLS the big one yeah the big one you know it's not it's different and and you're sort of completely you know you're looking at it from from the side you're not looking at any of the you know most of the the telltales of of brands etc tend to involve the the sort of frontal aspect and front fascia of the of the vehicle and and, and that you you can't see any of that and and so I, I really dislike the way that social media has repeated this this image and and this design is dead ethos because it's 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 a word that Andrew would edit out uh, and I can't be bothered so I'm just not going to use the word. Um, it's it's just rubbish, basically. Um, the the way that people have have understood it and and yeah. And it's it's the implication that this has never been the case before that you wouldn't find similarities in terms of silhouettes of cars from any era. You see, there's 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 you, you see the supermarket car park pictures, you know, from the Sainsbury's mm. archive that go out. I have real trouble telling that that stuff apart. I really do. And then you get even further back stuff like telling Austins apart from standard Triumphs from all sorts of other stuff. It's not impossible. They're all the same flipping size, shape, etc. It It is thus, and it will always be thus. You know, yes. and it is... There are certainly yeah. trends, but it's not. Design is never dead, dead, is it? So, no. And yes, you'll find certainly find similar. There was another one about 10 years ago where it was uh, showing five cars from 2012 and five cars from, I don't know, the... 60s or 70s and it was kind of the mm. five cars from the 60s were like a coupe and a you know a, a really square four by four and a you know a, a saloon car and an estate and it was kind of and the, the ones now are all kind of all, all suvs and you go yes yeah. but if you found modern equivalents of the cars that you're showing in this you probably find mm. there's even more variation in terms of silhouettes today than than there was back then because you can do you can do more with you know Stand, you know, shared platforms and all the rest of it. It's you know, there's there's, there's opportunities to do all sorts of different things with uh, with the same with you know, the same foundations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, rah, blah, go read, please, people. Yes, I don't like that one. Um, but so, do you want to take us on? Speaking of, uh, <laughs> of yes. vehicles with similar silhouettes, do you want to take us to the list of the week, Alex? Yeah, so the list of the week this week is uh, actually, ironically, if you if you if you were considering an SUV, we're uh, Haggerty um, and friend of the show Gavin Braithwaite Smith has uh, suggested ten jacked up estate cars as an alternative to that SUV you might have been thinking about buying, and uh, boy, there's some good ones on here, as you might the, the, might well expect. The, there are only ten, so do you want to do you want to pick one, Alex? That's that's your favourite. Yes, it makes no sense, mine probably, but uh, I, I've always been drawn to the Subaru Legacy Outback. I've always really liked them. Technically, possibly not the best on the list, but uh, but yes, I've always, I've just, I've, I've always really liked them. They, about you? they are ten a penny around here. I can't bet. Yes, yeah. This this side of the 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 Subaru XV Stroke Crosstrek 
then then they are they are like the car the car of, of New England and Massachusetts just everywhere. Was somebody recently commenting, oh, Subaru's going to stop making cars soon. It's like, yeah, no, they might stop, you know, IM might start, stop importing them into the UK, but <laughs> don't be under the impression mm. that Subaru aren't selling cars because they are. Yes, yeah. Um, How about so, you? Yeah. Have you got a, have you got a pick on that list? <laughs> I do. Do you know what? And it's only because I saw one on my way back from Canada just after Christmas. Um, uh, I'm going to go with the AMC Eagle Wagon oh, as being one of the, of the founders of that. It's probably not my favorite. If I was offered the choice of all of them, it's not the one I would have. I would have one of the others. But um, but I actually saw one in real life. And in fact, it wasn't the wagon. It was the coupe, which was still jacked up and four-wheel drive. And it was really cool to actually finally see one because you've seen them on YouTube and stuff and pictures. But I'd never seen one in real life, so. There's yes. a very nice, in a similar, not not quite as uh, as I don't want to use the word vintage, but uh, of a similar of a of a similar um, a similar idea to these. There's uh, a very very nice V90 Ocean Race near us. Um, oh right, it's a yeah. stunning thing, white with silver and orange accents. And every time I see, oh, it, is it, it the, turns the white head. one? I yeah. only ever notice the blue ones. Oh no, this is the yeah, this is the latest yeah yeah. The, the, oh, the, latest the, one. the oh, newest cool. ones yeah with the, the kind of additional bits in the back for you to kind of wash your wetsuit and store your wetsuit and all the rest of it so it's, it's very very cool yeah. um utterly pointless for for me because i don't i don't sail but uh but yeah it's a very cool a very it's, cool it's car not, nonetheless it's a very stylish thing it's not the point you can still aspire to sail yes yeah <laughs> Anyway, let's end up this week with the with the Anne finally. And the Anne finally is Ford. And uh, if you want pictures of cars that look like Fords uh, from all the eras, and uh, then they have opened up their their Ford Heritage Vault. Uh, got more than sixteen hundred pics of every car it's ever sold in the UK. Um, so a lot of the old press images uh, being shared. Um, and yes, uh, if you are now back at work and looking for another uh, rabbit hole to to go down whilst looking like you're working at your desk uh, this could well be a very good one to 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 have so um so yes um there'll be a link to a quick article about it with some of the best the best ofs um from top gear magazine uh, but there will also be a link directly to the the heritage vault as well so we'll be be tucking those in parish notes uh not really two special editions out over christmas as you probably noticed andrew with a kia ev6 uh and me talking about um uh, giving the family friendly version of buying a car in the usa um i could quite easily have filled two hours worth of of, of swearing and ranting but i didn't because i was being good uh, and talking about the scion tc uh, which I have over here as well, and how I find it and what it's like and what it is and all these other things that people generally don't know because it was never really, it was never sold in Europe. Um, that's that. That's those. Anything you feel I've missed, Alex? Not off the top of my head, but uh, yes. Okie doke. 
if that's the case, and don't forget, folks, that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback. Share your thoughts of the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Alex, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Probably best at the moment on uh, still on I'm still on Twitter at uh, Alex Grant UK, but I'm also on uh, I'm also now on Mastodon, which is Alex Grant UK at toot dot Wales. I think um, if people just search for the first name, then it will it will generally come up, or, or they can find it via my Mastodon profile as well. So yeah, on those as well. So uh, I've got a, I've got a multi platform these days. So uh, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, still still probably most active on Twitter if the, if you wish to get in touch. How about cool. you? Um, best way to get in touch with me, just the same. It's it's generally via Twitter. I'm at AJP Bradley. Same username on Mastodon if you want to connect there uh, ahead of the impending crash. Um, Andrew will be back next week. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Alex Grant. And safe motoring. people are going to complain because I didn't spell out my surname. (laughs) Oops, never mind.